Hi there, welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast about public speaking and speaking up. If you struggle with saying what you want to say on stage, on camera, or in conversation, you're in the right place. I'm Angela Lucier, your host. I'm also an author, professional speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. If you want to practice the tips you learn on this podcast, you can check out a Speaker Sisterhood club as a guest for free. Learn more at speakersisterhood.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Claim the Stage. Today's episode I'm thinking is kind of like a nuts and bolts, back to basics, and also super helpful in t- making small tweaks to your communication methods so that you can be more inspiring and more engaging and a better leader. And today's guest is Joel Schwartzberg. This is his second time on the show. I did link to his first episode, so you can listen to that one if you liked what you hear today. He's back because he has a new book, and he's sharing all about the language of leadership. And so we get into all kinds of different ways to present yourself, different ways to listen, different ways to inspire people, and different ways to gather feedback. And we're kind of all over the map on the conversation, but I was really interested in everything he had to say because it's just, it's like, it's almost like doing spring cleaning. Like, you know, you go and like, you're cleaning out a corner and you're just like, oh yeah, that corner could use a little sprucing up. Oh, I could maybe dust over there. Oh, I could maybe like clean up that. That's kind of what this episode reminds me of is like just improving everywhere across the board a little bit and the big impact it can make. And this conversation is all about leaders. And so who who qualifies as a leader? You could be a leader in a company. You could be a leader who speaks on a stage, like a thought leader. You could be a speaker. Or you could be a leader um, you know, of a Girl Scout troop. I mean, leadership is everywhere. So I think this episode applies to everyone, even if you don't have a quote-unquote leadership role. And this episode also got me thinking about my first job when I was working as a marketing assistant and was thinking, okay, where am I going from here? Like, what's my plan? Do I have a plan or am I going to be in this job forever? And, and I kept thinking, I want to be a leader. And what kept on making me feel a ton of fear every time I thought about becoming a leader was, oh, leaders have to speak. And I was still so shy at that time. And and it was that conversation I had with myself about leadership that really propelled me to want to learn more about speaking and brought me to where I am today because I had to reckon with how badly I wanted to be a leader and if I was willing to get out of my comfort zone to learn how to speak. And I think we know what happened. So... <laughs> This topic of leadership is one that we can never really learn enough about because it's so much about connection and relationships and communication and knowing ourselves and really hearing other people. And so I hope that you take something away from today's episode that you can use in your own life. And I have no doubt you will. So uh, I'll just give you a quick overview of who Joel is before we jump into the interview. 
Joel Swartberg is a leadership communications coach whose clients include American Express, Blue Cross Blue Shield, State Farm Insurance, the Brennan Center for Justice, and Comedy Central. Schwartzberg's articles on effective communication have appeared in Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, and Toastmaster Magazine. He's the author of Get to the Point, Sharpen Your Message, and Make Your Words Matter, which Seth Godin calls a manifesto for giving talks that make a difference, and The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. So without further ado, here's my interview with Joel Schwartzberg. Joel, welcome back to the show. You are our second time guest returning to claim the stage. Thank you so much, Angela. I, I really enjoyed being here. Uh, you just wrote a new book, The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team. Congratulations. I know that's an undertaking. <laughs> it is. Thank you. And since you are a returning guest, I just want to remind everyone of your story. Do you want to take a couple of minutes to just let everybody know a little bit more about who you are and how you got into this kind of work? Sure. My presentational journey began way back when I was in sixth grade, actually, and I was doing competitive public speaking, which is called forensics in middle school and high school and in college. And I just sort of stuck with it. Maybe it's because I wasn't athletically inclined or never took up golf or uh, what have you, but I really gravitated toward it. And by the time I was a senior in college, I'd won a national championship and I wanted to go Further, not so much competitively, but sharing all that stuff I had learned in those 11 years. So I started coaching uh, public speakers. And about three years into that, that's when I had this aha moment that I was training presenters to use volume and to gesture well and to stand in place. But when I asked them what their point was, they wouldn't have one. They confused points for things like topics and themes and categories and sometimes catchphrases. So that's when I sort of changed my training in that direction. I wrote a book in 2017 uh, called Get to the Point. And just this year, I wanted to take those ideas and get to the point and really put them in the context of leadership. And let's define that a little bit. That doesn't just mean the C-suite and the CEO and you know that gang. Uh, it means anybody who wants to uh, show ownership to a project, to a meeting, Anyone, even interns, uh, can show leadership skills and evolve their leadership skills. So I wrote a book uh, that shows how to do two things. And I boiled it down to two uh, things. As a leader, you want to engage and you want to inspire. And the way your teams and your employees and your group realize that is through communication. Because it's not happening through uh, miming or uh, performance art or telepathy. Uh, you are writing, you are speaking, you're posting, you're texting, you're creating videos. So how can we use that medium to engage and inspire people? How did you boil it down to those two points? The lucky thing for me is this is also my day job. So I'm the Senior Director of Strategic and Executive Communications uh, for a major nonprofit. I've been there for about eight years doing that. Prior to that, I did write some speeches for clients, but it is really important for me to see uh, and do the work and to see the response from people. And that's where I learned the most, not from uh, reading Fast Company articles or Harvard Business Review, even though I write for them now, uh, but really seeing it in action. Let's try this. Uh, let's do a survey. How did people respond to that? How do they respond in the moment? And that enabled me to see that those are the two things a leader wants to do. 
I mean, let's talk about things that are not included in those two words. Uh, leaders do not need to seem uh, even smart or brilliant or memorable uh, or uh, fantastic because what do those things really speak of other than the leader's ability or how they might look on a LinkedIn page? Uh, it's not a leadership context and contest. The whole game is really about how does a leader impact the audience? And the two things audiences look for, what they want and what they need, from my experience, is to be engaged, get my attention, so I'm there with you, and then to be inspired. I want to be in the same place as you are, and I want to take this journey that you're on so we can see our shared goal and have it succeed. How does a leader do that? How do, how are they? How do, <laughs> this is going to be a loaded question, but how do you right. be engaging? One of the key ways is, you know, the whole book, I like to work in tactics. So it's filled with a variety of tactics. But if I could pull one out, it would be this idea of informing versus inspiring. And I see a lot of leaders and really anybody who's giving a presentation, I see them giving what I call book reports. Uh, here's the history. Here are the numbers. Here's the dates and the deadlines. And here's what we're going to do. Here's how many people are involved. Let's go do it. And they never said why it's relevant, uh, what it all means, what's the end game, and how we will all uh, succeed as a result of this approach or this platform or this campaign. So what we want to do is inspire. And one of the best metaphors for that is a book. And a book, among other things, has two uh, inclusions. It has a table of contents and it has blurbs on the back. The table of contents discuss the inventory of the book and the blurbs sell the book. So what I try to talk to my students and my clients and in my day job to people about is you can leave the information to a subject matter expert or you could even share that, but you're not doing your leadership job uh, and leaders are the only people who have these jobs uh, that is to inspire. So why is this relevant? Where are we going? What's the vision? Uh, and why do you have such a strong belief in this? Now, there are other communicative uh, tools as well. They involve, you know, the, the foundation, of course, is having a point, which I always come back to and is, is in both of my books, uh, get to the point and the language of leadership. Uh, but I, what I want people to realize, there are a lot of things you can do both outward and inward that will convey uh, a leadership presence that will inspire and engage. One of them, for example, is listening. I include listening in the language of leadership because that's a core responsibility of leadership, not only to get that vital information, but to indicate to your staff that you appreciate and acknowledge uh, their ideas and the diversity of perspectives that can help you succeed. Is there a formula? I don't know, <laughs> a formula for listening. You know, is there a, a, a way to listen beyond just looking and nodding, is there something that you recommend so that listen, the leaders can show that they are hearing what the people are saying and then be able to you know, respond appropriately? Sure. And let's talk about some tactics here, because you're right. Listening is a big word. What does it mean to listen? How is it different from hearing? Uh, so let's start with the word. If you're listening, you need to listen. Now, that may seem obvious, but what do some people do when they listen? They're thinking, oh, what am I going to say next? Yeah. <laughs> or how am I going to respond to that? Or what am I going to have for lunch today? So <laughs> uh, you need to be 
present. So just like you need to turn off your cell phone and shut off your email, uh, you need to truly listen. The other thing, and you mentioned this, uh, Angela, but I want to put some mustard on it, is nodding. So when we smile as an audience, we say, I'm being entertained. Uh, when we applaud, we're saying you completed your task. But when we nod, especially from a leader, uh, you're saying, I'm buying what you're selling. Uh, I agree with what you're saying, and I'm inspired by it and want to take it forward. So nodding is a key way of showing you're listening. And I'll mention one more. Uh, so we have a rule of three here. Uh, the other is mirroring. So a good listener will listen to what's coming in and then say, what I hear you saying is that podcasting, it will be the best way to reach our millennial audience. Uh, is that true? Is that what you're saying? Then the other person says, uh, yes, it is. And then you say, great, all right, let's talk about ways we could do that. But if they say no, then you say, all right, can you share, tell me more so that I truly understand. And the mirroring accomplishes two things. Uh, one is it ensures that you're receiving what they're saying very clearly and specifically. But the other thing is it shows acknowledgement. And I don't want to make it seem like leaders need to be very showy, uh, but they need to do things that signal to their teams that they're paying attention. And one of them, one of the best ones, is to mirror back uh, what somebody asks to them. Mm -hmm. Those are great tips. I want to talk specifically about women in leadership roles sure. and what it's like some women who are having to lead a team or, you know, get up on a stage and speak when they are straightforward, when they speak with conviction, they can be seen mm -hmm. as aggressive. And I'm wondering right. if you have any thoughts or <laughs> have you done any work on that? Sure. <laughs> well, the first thing is recognize this as a fear more than necessarily a reality. There could be two people out of a hundred who think that, but you might overthink the fear of it and let that do disastrous things at your presentation. Oh, I guess I'll speak a little more quietly, or I guess I won't be so strong, I'll, I'll pull back a little bit. And those are things no speaker should do. What I generally say to my clients and my students uh, who are typically female, and say they, they fear coming across as aggressive or sometimes shrill or too strong. This is what I say. Treat it as the fiction uh, that it is or should be. Because the truth is all leaders benefit from speaking up, from being loud, from showing their conviction. Uh, they need to speak up even when their sexist audience needs to grow up. So don't let that stop you and certainly don't customize your approach to match a sexist and uh, offensive uh, point of view. Uh, you wouldn't do that in conversation. You shouldn't do that as a speaker. You came to deliver your point, uh, put everything you have into it to make sure it gets delivered. What if you're leading a team and your team's feedback is you're too aggressive? Should you just keep going? <laughs> <laughs> I have honestly never heard that in a real world setting, which is not to say uh, some leaders have heard that. But what I would do is I would turn that around because what does it mean to be aggressive? So if I was that leader, I would say, let's have a conversation about this. Yeah. In what ways did I come across as aggressive? 
what decisions uh, did you see me make that had that impact on you? So you're breaking down this, you're aggressive uh, sort of stamp into a tactic or uh, an, an opportunity to change. Maybe you're too loud. Uh, maybe that person doesn't really understand. Or maybe you just need to connect what you're saying to shared goals. So it's not just about you speaking, but it's about everybody. And that's actually a chapter in the book, uh, why we should speak in terms of we and not I. Why you shouldn't start a presentation by thinking, what do I want to say today? But you should start thinking about presentation by saying, what does my audience want and need to know? And sometimes those tactics, how can we share this? We're all in this together. They will mitigate uh, an impression of aggression or uh, too much strength. Mm -hmm. And I think aggression is one of those words that is, it's so loaded. It can mean a thousand different things depending on the source. So opening up a conversation with that as the question, how are you defining aggression and what am I doing? That's making you see that, um, that's, that's a rich conversation that can actually change the whole team dynamic. So I think anytime a word like that is thrown out, that's an opportunity for learning and connection because yeah, you don't want right. to change a whole approach based around a word that could mean so many different things. <laughs> and what does it mean to be less aggressive? I mean, I, should I take that up with my psychologist? It's like, sometimes I say, um, if you tell uh, a direct report or a, um, someone you work with or your boss, uh, you need to sound more like a leader or you need to sound more confident. Those are not very actionable. How do I sound like a leader? Yeah. How do I sound uh, more confident without diving into my past and my proclivities and my personality? So I like to give tactics. And one of them, frankly, is volume. So a child knows how to raise their volume. And sometimes we think of volume as something that makes us more audible. And certainly it does. We want people to hear us. But over 15 years of doing the same test, Angela, I do this test where I say to a few key people, I say, give me your name and your title and just count one through five at a volume that's uh, weirdly loud, uh, inappropriately loud. Don't, sh don't scream or shout, but just do it at a volume. You would never do it because your inner voice is saying that's way too loud. And this is what happens. They say it in that volume, they feel weird, the shoulders go up. And I then poll the rest of the class and the students and the clients and say, what changed in your impression or in that impression to you as a result of that person increasing their volume? And this is what I get, more confident, more assured, sounds more like a leader, a coordinator sounds like a manager, a manager sounds like a director. And here's the A word I get, not aggressive, but assertive. And assertive is a positive public speaking value. Mm -hmm. So that's why I encourage people to raise their volume, not just to be heard, but to give the impression of leadership, authority, competence, and confidence. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a fun exercise. I, I think I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of fun with it because people suddenly realize that their inner voice is wrong. Their inner voice in their head that says, oh, that's too loud, they're not following you, they don't like you, uh, you're a failure, you're a fraud, a whole range of things that get in, the, get in the way of our ability to present, and none of them are true. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the one place where you really can't trust that voice in your head to lead the way, because that's the voice of your insecurity. 
Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that voice, I know if, mm-hmm. if you were speak up in a meeting and someone interrupts you, you may think, well, what I'm saying, maybe it wasn't important, or maybe I was wrong, or maybe I'm not important enough to be speaking. What advice would you give if someone, when they're speaking up and getting interrupted, right. like right. how should they deal with that? Or they may even think, I'm in a room full of mansplainers. How am I going to get through this? Right. Um, what I recommend is to not make it about you. Don't personalize it. Uh, when someone cuts you off, they are not necessarily uh, insulting you. The action may be insulting. But what they're saying is, and I bring up the word again, it's classic mansplaining. Oh, I've got an idea, and I'm going to appropriate and take your time to make uh, my point. Uh, they even think that they're doing you a favor by clarifying your point or finishing your sentence, as some people like to do. So here's what I say. Think of it in terms of the point that you need to make, because you have that job, you were promoted, you are qualified, uh, you are an expert in that point, otherwise you wouldn't be making it. So what I would say is, as soon as you're interrupted, follow up, you are allowed to, you are encouraged to, you should think you're encouraged to say, I just want to finish the point I was making, because I really think it could make a difference in what we do next, and that is this. Or even a thank you, Tom, for weighing in, but I just want to make sure that everybody is clear about my point. So it's not about you fighting for uh, Tina time. It's about uh, Tina's responsibility to make sure this very viable point she had gets across and doing everything she can to make sure that it does. So feel privileged to continue your point even if someone has interrupted you. Now, don't do it in an angry way yeah. or a defensive way. Yeah. Remember, your job is just to make sure that point comes across, not to make sure you have as much time as someone next to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be able to reframe it from that person doesn't care what I have to say to that person just wants to be heard. You're right, it makes it less personal. And then you're able to right. release that, whatever judgment you have about yourself, about whatever you're saying, not being important. It's like, Right. Oh, actually, they're just trying to take the control back. <laughs> right. It's not, and it shouldn't be seen as a room full of men and women. Yeah. Uh, it's a room full of ideas. And the most important ones, that meeting should not end uh, without the most important ideas being uh, put forth and championed. What do you think about the um, importance of gender neutral language in mixed groups? So many people are trained, and I'm talking about men and women, to say things like, hey, guys. Hi, guys. Uh, We see it in speeches. We see it in texts. We see it in emails. And a lot of what I preach is about the email platform as well. And that is so old. We really need to get past that. We're getting past that in a number of ways. There's a way to go for our society. But one of the easiest ways is to stop saying, uh, hey, guys. Uh, If it's a, a group, you can say, hi, team. Hi, everyone. Uh, whatever, hi, you too, <laughs> a TWO. Uh, there are a number of ways to get around it. And I'll tell you the truth, Angela, once you start doing that, uh, training yourself to stop before you write or say, hey guys, or hi guys, and to say, hi everyone, or hey team, or just hello, it will suddenly become natural. And I know this through my own experience. I had to work upriver a little bit uh, to get rid of that, Uh, gendered nature of my communication. But now I never say, uh, hey guys, and it's not because I'm deliberately thinking about that. 
it's because it's in my head now not to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely say hi, guys. and it's worse coming from men than coming from women so i'll give you a little bit of pass about that you don't want to certainly contribute to it Uh, but yeah let's try to get there every way we can and what are we talking about we're talking about inclusion Mm -hmm. and we all know inclusion is important this is an aspect of inclusion making sure we're using uh, uh, non-gendered gender neutral language well, let's let's talk about getting back to this concept of the language of of leadership. We're in a time mm-hmm. now where we could use some hope. We could use empathy. We could use um, just messages of optimism, and I don't know, just right. feeling safe. And I'm wondering if there are any like do's and don'ts or any advice you have for leaders on how to convey those messages in a way that connects with their audience. Sure. And I'm glad you asked that question because there are a lot of tips, but sometimes we say to a leader, hey, you should be more empathic. And the next question is, all right, how? Through communication. It's one thing to be that way, but your team is not going to experience it unless you do a number of things. And we're talking about, like you said, uh, hope. This is also about authenticity. This is about uh, vision. So one of the things I like to use is a metaphor. Uh, let's say you're on a ship and there's a ship's captain and you're there as one of the people on the ship. I'm not particularly nautical, so I'm not going to use the right terms, but uh, <laughs> let's say it's a terrible storm and the ship is taking on, the boat is taking on water. Uh, what do you want of the captain and expect of the captain in that dire circumstance? Should the captain be talking about how high the water is building, uh, how much peril there is, Um, how many uh, seats are left as the water rises. I mean, these are some of the things leaders do when they think about, well, how should I respond to people? Information, information, information. But what do people want from their leader? They want the leader to say, this is how we're going to reach dry land. And if we all work together and do X, uh, we're going to make it and survive. And that's just sort of uh, is emblematic of what leadership is about, providing a vision, a direction, a roadmap. And let's talk about hope in particular. You know, hope is about creating a sense of comfort around a future and a vision that you can articulate. It's not even so much about the tactics to get there. They don't expect the leaders to say, all right, first we're going to do X, then we're going to do Y, then we're going to. The first thing that has to happen is uh, I have hope that we're going to reach this. Uh, metric in the fourth quarter uh, because of these reasons. And an interesting thing came about when I started writing about this is that hope for a leader is better expressed as a noun than as a verb. Because when we use hope as a verb, we're saying, I hope this will happen. I hope our revenue will go up. I hope people listen to my podcast. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. You know, we're sort of putting the the creation of that outcome on something else. We're sort of gambling on it. Well, I hope this happens. Uh, You're not putting any commitment toward it. But when you use hope as a noun, I have hope that our fourth quarter is going to bring us into the black versus the red. I have hope that this new campaign is going to help save animals or save the earth. This gives me tremendous hope that we're gonna meet our goals uh, next month. 
And you see how it's very different. The first one is sort of relying on fate uh, and has no confidence. The second one is filled with confidence and it's putting yourself and your team in the driver's seat of reaching that goal. So hope as a noun and not as a verb. I like it. When it comes to speaking on a stage and having to connect with your audience and recognizing that there are problems and there are solutions that you're offering, what's the best way to frame those solutions so that your audience cares about them and that connecting with what, what matters? Right. The first thing is recognize that your role as a leader is to convey the solution, not so much to describe the problem. Now, this may seem obvious, but let's say we're in an organization where we're trying to cure cancer. And you can see a lot of speeches about how many people have cancer, how many people are dying, and we need to do something about it. Or let's say we're an environmental nonprofit. Uh, the earth is dirty and we're going downhill and people are not gonna be able to breathe and our plants are gonna die. You know, it's tempting to get into the peril, uh, which automatically makes us relevant. But it's a leader's job to express and to sell uh, specifically the solution to that problem. So if everyone's aware of the problem, how are we gonna get to the solution? So the first part is about mindset. And my book deals with mindsets and tactics and techniques. So that's an example of mindset, being a solution mindset. Then once you're there, the solution has to be specific and it has to be actionable. So not that, hey, if we all work together and we use collaboration and we commit to the bottom line, uh, we'll get out of this crisis. Well, what are those things? I mean, I committed to having a, uh, a delicious pizza this afternoon <laughs> and I succeeded there, but that commitment is a lot different from this commitment. What I'm saying is it's a very broad word. Uh, so what I'm looking for is, here are three steps that the executive leadership team and I have created uh, to get us out of this crisis. And I'm open to your feedback. Uh, so it's specific. The second thing is actionable. Is this a pie in the sky plan? Or is this something that people, and I like to use, I'm a visual learner, so I need to visualize solutions. So paint the picture for me and paint my role in playing a part in it. If people are invested in the solution and they're hearing from their leader the way to reach that solution, you know what, they're gonna be inspired to be part of it. How can I help? A powerful uh, phrase, how can I help? Yeah. Uh, so you want your people to say that. And if you're specific and your ideas are actionable, they will be there for you and be inspired to assist. Hmm. You say that there are three simple words that can quickly reveal if you're getting your point across. What are they? They are, I believe that. Uh, this is a tool that I always bring out, even though it's from uh, my first book, Get to the Point, it's also in the language of leadership. It's in every single one of my conferences because I want them a tool that can help people know if they're making a point or not, if they're left with a theme or an idea. So the test is easy, uh, goes like this. Take what you think is your point that you might make to a partner a vendor, a boss, a client, and put the words, I believe that, those three words in front of it, and then ask one question. Do I now have a complete sentence? 
Uh, or do I have a fragment or a run-on sentence? Do I have a complete sentence that would totally impress my fourth grade language arts teacher? Uh, if you do, then you're then on your way to making a point. We talk about sharpening it and championing it. But if you don't, you need to reimagine it so that it is a point. So let's take some examples. Uh, is I believe that leadership a complete sentence? No. Uh, is I believe that podcasting a complete sentence? No. Is I believe that women in the workplace a complete sentence? No. In all three of those, what they have in common is you're not making a proposal. You're not putting something out there for consideration. But if you say, I believe that podcasting will help us reach our millennial audience, or I believe that leadership relies on careful listening, or I believe that uh, the number of women in the workplace demonstrate why we must have these kind of dynamics in place to help everyone succeed. You can already, already tell by the nature of those that they make you say, go on, <laughs> yeah. because you're putting something out there and you're also putting your reputation and your qualifi qualifications behind it. Uh, so when I talk to people about going to conferences, I always say, your point is not leadership. Your point is not economics. Your point is not uh, how terrible... Um, our politics are these days. And to be clear, it's not even about the importance of podcasting, the importance of women in the workplace, because those are not a complete sentence either. So keep working at it until your I believe that is a complete sentence. And then you could even remove the I believe that and say that podcasting is the best way to reach this audience. Now, I believe that helps because it puts your, your personal commitment and attaches it to your point but it's not necessary. It's really a test, a three-word test to make sure critically that you have a point. Because if you do not have a point, uh, then you should be nervous because then you are rendered pointless. <laughs> that also is, is an alternative way of figuring out your brand and your maybe your leadership philosophy. It seems almost like a simplified way by starting it with, I believe that. I was just thinking right. as you were talking, like, I believe that helping women build confidence in their voice will change the world. And that is right. actually the central philosophy of my whole business and this podcast and everything I do. <laughs> right. As opposed to uh, raising the voices of women or helping women or women and their communication ability. You know, those are all titles uh, but they're not points. But what you said, because you use the I believe that test, that is definitely a point. Yeah, I love that. Can I ask you a, a personal question? <laughs> let's try. <laughs> well, so yeah, have, I'm a captive audience. So let's yeah, <laughs> you have a full time job and you yes. have a consulting business and you're an yes. author. How, I know that there are a lot of <laughs> listeners who work full time, who want to be speakers, who want to write a book who maybe our parents are, um, you know, married, how are you able to make time for everything and, and sort of like create all of these things happening alongside each other? <laughs> uh, the answer is I don't golf. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, if you have a commitment to your voice and you see a number of platforms you want to do it in, you know, I'm motivated because I take a, the IT people will enjoy this. I take an open code approach to uh, what I am sharing. I want everybody to have it. So I enjoy doing my job, but extracurricularly, 
Uh, I enjoy writing the same kind of things for Harvard Business Review, same kind of things for Fast Company. Uh, I like writing them in books. Also at my core, uh, I'm a writer. So I write because I love to write. And it's interesting. I have a lot of people who follow me and I follow more often on Twitter who write all kinds of things. They write fantasy novels, they write horror novels, and they also have full-time full -time jobs. And a lot of them are women and they find the time where they can and they make decisions to scale back. Now, my kids are grown, so that's not eating a lot of my time. I have a number of cats who are eating up a lot of my time. But I try to find time on the weekend. And, and to be honest, Angela, when I commuted to the city every day on a train, that's where I did 90% of my writing. Because on a train or in, on a commute, and this just works for me because I live in New Jersey and work in New York City, uh, there was nothing else to do. So I'd open my laptop and I would just uh, write. So my advice is to uh, find the time where you can, make decisions and prioritize things so you're more often doing the things you love to do and spending less time doing the things that uh, you don't love quite as much. Yeah. Um, where can everyone get your book? So I encourage people to go to www.joelschwartzberg.net. That's J-O-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z-B-E-R-G, joelschwartzberg.net. Because that's where I post all of my articles, my podcasts. You can find out about the books uh, and you can find out how to follow me. I also encourage people to follow me on Twitter at The Joel Truth, The Joel Truth at Twitter, where I'm also sharing a lot of these ideas. Uh, the books, Get to the Point, and The Language of Leadership, yeah, they're on Amazon. Anywhere you might uh, get books days, these days, you, you find them there. But if you want a little taste of more of what I share and my ideas and my approach, uh, then please follow me wherever you can, and I'm sharing all the time. And are you available for coaching, or do you have any programs anyone can sign up for? Or? Uh, I do take clients. Sometimes it's one person. Sometimes it's 100 people you know, who belong to one organization uh, or one company. So the best way to reach me about that is to go to www.joelschwartzberg.net. There's a contact link there. And if you'd like coaching for yourself or for your business, uh, please reach out to me and I'll get back to you right away. Great. Is there anything else you want to share, Joel? Only that I want to encourage your audience to be champions of their ideas. And I use that word particularly and specifically champions of your ideas, not just sharing your idea, not just putting out the idea, not just talking about your idea. Let's be a champion of our ideas because those ideas are important. They deserve to be sold and not shared. And guess what? Uh, you're in sales, <laughs> even if that makes you uncomfortable. If you have a great idea that's as valuable as a product. So I wish you luck, but more importantly, I wish you success being champions of those great ideas. Great. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much, Angela. It was fun. I hope you loved today's show. If you did, a great way to say thank you is to share this episode with your friends on Instagram. Don't forget to tag me at Angela Lucier and Speaker Sisterhood at Speaker Sisterhood. Well, that does it for me this week, my friends. As always, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.